0: To Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at f one pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramay. Hey everybody, what is up? Welcome to the podcast. that is always up to speed with Formula One here on the Overtime Media Network. Mark and Kevin here in the aftermath of a very, very eventful Canadian Grand Prix in one of our two hometowns. Obviously not mine. Kevin, how's it going tonight?
1: Going good, good, Marky. Busy week in Montreal with the Grand Prix, with the final wedding preparation as well. Because yes, I'm getting I'm getting hitched at the end of the month. So that explains my, my absence of... <laughs> last few shows, but uh, I had to come back for the Montreal Grand Prix, I had the chance to talk uh, to a few people uh, surrounding the Montreal Grand Prix, I have a few info on the new paddock structure, on the new paddock club, Uh, it's very spacious, it's big compared to what it used to be, have some info as well on Vettel and his reaction behind the scene after the controversy, but, yeah, the, the eventful part of the Grand Prix, Mark, it's funny because it wasn't really the race part. Uh, there was a few things, but yep. it was more the, the aftermath and uh, how people reacted to a decision taken by stewards that uh, really is uh, what we remember right now after the Grand Prix. No one's talking about Hamilton winning once again. Mercedes is doing another victory. No, no, we're talking about Vettel and how angry he is about the decision.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. And it really is uh, all about the 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 fallout of that 5-second uh, penalty he was given after he went off of the track. But Kevin, why don't you give everybody a little bit of context? Obviously, Montreal is your hometown. You're familiar with uh, the, the Circuit Gilles Villeneuve. I mean, you've been there many times. You've attended the Grand Prix. You've biked around the circuit. So just give us a little bit of context what the the, the track is actually like after you come out of that uh, the the, the Senna S yeah. and into that uh, series of corners where where Sebastian actually went off and then rejoined the circuit.
1: What we don't see on the TV is there's a change of elevation. It's not it's not flat. You mentioned me on my bike? Yeah, I'm telling you it's not flat. There's about a 50 meter climb in the actual circuit itself that destroys and burns my uh, my thighs every week <laughs> when i go biking there but no it's exa- one of those spots where where he did have that is right there uh next to where the old terre des hommes pavilion i believe is and normally we don't see all those pavilions because there's the stands and the all the fences so you don't see all the uh, nice remnants of the 67 international exhibition that is on, on the island uh, but Mark, yeah, there there is a change of elevation, it's, so you go you go you climb a bit, mixed with old tires that he had, mixed with then making a driver mistake going into the grass. It's not only in a place where there's elevation angle in the grass; it's also a wet area. There's just meters away. There's a river, and it's on an island, so the grass is usually. Pretty wet, even on a hot day. So your tires are a bit slick and full of dust and earth and uh, and grass and water. So you come back onto the track, you do uh, have a little bit of less grip. And uh, it happened. What we've seen, actually, it's luckily there was no accident. It could have seen it was so close. Both drivers reacted the best way, and I think that's where I have a problem with this is. You know, I've talked to people, Mark, uh, because of my regular job, I have the chance to, during the Grand Prix week, rub shoulders from the Sky Sports team to certain F1 team that I don't necessarily want to mention to stewards and to the president of the stewards or the Association of Stewards in Canada. I, I know him personally, so I do have some insight. And it's funny how everyone looks at it a different way, but at the end of the day, Mark, everyone's like, yeah, I wish I wish it wasn't that way. I wish it was decided on the track. Everyone can agree, yeah. disagree about the decision. It's still a shame that a decision had to be taken.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I think for me, and just like yourself and everybody else, is that the outcome of that race that was it was taken away from uh, Vettel and Hamilton. And honestly, I, I was really enjoying the scrap that these two guys were having because Seb would pull away a little bit, and Hamilton would pull him in, and they were just miles ahead of everybody else. They really were off having their their, their own race, the two of them, and it, it really sort of came down to the the question is, well, is Lewis going to get close enough to have a like try and uh, make a pass on some. Sebastian at some points, and it was just unfortunate that uh, Sebastian had that issue that he did. Where uh, as he goes into that, I guess that would be turn four on the track. There, just the, the 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 rear end of the car started to come out on him. So he did the smart thing. He's of course he's not going to uh, let let the car continue to spin and slide and and lose track position or perhaps slide into the barrier there and, and damage the car, which would obviously have ended his race uh, permanently that afternoon. And it, I. I thought, to me, my initial reaction was it was a racing incident. And I guess if you really dive into the weeds and really look at it a lot closer, that the decision wasn't so much how he rejoined the, the track, but it was the second uh, wiggle yeah. that he made it's more that on the steering wheel. Yeah, the,
1: What I was told, and this does not come necessarily from stewards themselves, but it does come into the same type of explanation of what, what really irk some people in the way it happened is if you look at the replay, he goes off, he comes back, but he puts himself into the racing line. He literally puts himself into the racing line to not necessarily to block, but to continue his merry way, not paying attention to what Lewis was doing. And you can see when you look at the replay, Lewis is trying to go to the right of him, but then he's like, yeah, I shouldn't try that because it's too risky and he doesn't see me. And that could be what the like the risk of this was that ha vettel would have pushed hamilton into into the wall without wanting it to be but just by rejoining the track but you do see vettel though go straight into the racing line and being squared with the racing line so he kind of knows vettel's there uh hamilton's coming cuz he's kind of taking over the spot that hamilton would have with his momentum of his faster uh, faster speed at that moment So there's that too. And I think the fact that he comes back on the track, that's fine. But if Mm -hmm. he would have stayed a bit left of the true racing line at that moment, recognizing that I made a mistake, it doesn't mean that Hamilton would have gone there. And you can try to to make sure you don't lose more than a fraction of a second. But still, I, I think it's that movement of going back onto the track and then going into the <clears throat> racing line, blocking a potential passing lane of Lewis Hamilton.
0: Sure, and I'm, I'm going to play uh, devil's advocate here for a moment, Kevin, if I may. So if uh, that second move that he's being judged on is where the penalty comes from, then uh, I guess we can say he's already back on the track. But if he's still in front of Lewis Hamilton, is he not allowed to make one racing maneuver to defend his position?
1: Well, that that's where it, <laughs> that's where it becomes interesting. Yeah, is that second movement still part of him getting back into the track, or is it when? So, so that's where it be, there's a big nuance. There is. Yeah, which one is it? When does it stop being a guy who went off track and came back in track, and when does it become a racing incident, or when does it become just back on racing? I would be interested to see where the closest steward stand is with a flag Mm -hmm. and where the closest local yellow flag was waved as soon as he came off the track. And I think that's one of the thing too, because it doesn't really happen usually at that spot on the track. There's not two or three stewards in those positions to clearly be able to signal a local mistake or local, uh, Incident where a car went off track and going back on Mm -hmm. track and then being safe again. And I think that's one of the reasons why we're having this controversy and this conversation is the lack of of immediate response that you can have on a 2.8 kilometer circuit. There's only, you cannot have someone every 10 feet. And maybe 10 feet is exaggerated, but it's just to illustrate the point. Sometimes Mm -hmm. uh, a different perspective, a different point of view from a steward that is in a spot on the track that has a perfect angle, different angle. And by the way, the stewards have way more camera angle than the regular folks at Sky Sports or anywhere F1, the international broadcast that we see on French TV. They do have a lot more angles and a lot more contacts with the stewards themselves that were present in the closest steward boxes. So uh, the decision was taken. Uh, Do I agree? Do I don't agree? Of course, I am I think it's too bad that it has to come to a decision like this. And, you know, no arm, no foul. And in my mind, if there's no parts of car flying, th- that's when penalties should be involved, when there's an actual yeah. incident. Because like, now it becomes minority report here a bit, Mark, where where we see you had the intention to block him, so, so, so we're giving you a five-second penalty for intention of doing something wrong. Well, that doesn't hold up in court. You need to actually do something wrong to be accused of something. So I guess that's where I stand.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we'll talk a little bit more about that after we take our first break here on the Overtime Media Network. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Passion drive and patience the formula for winning championships is also what keeps your rider die alive ebay motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance superchargers roof racks exhaust kits led headlights and more whether you're into speed power or style ebay motors has you covered with over 122 million parts for your number one rider die Okay, welcome back to Scuderia F1. Mark and Kevin here uh, dissecting the controversy at the Canadian Grand Prix last weekend. And uh, before we get back into it, uh, Kevin, I just want to share an email uh, from listener Richard LeBlanc. And I I should say that some of my uh, my uh, my thoughts in the previous segment uh, were uh, in, in part influenced by Richard's email. So I'll just read uh, the, the message that he sent to us. And uh, um, Richard says, I think the steward's analysis of this incident was Wrong, Uh, okay, and he goes on to say, The rule of unsafe entry is premised on having control of your vehicle. Vettel was on the grass and exiting grass did not. Any interruption of Hamilton in that correction phase was a racing incident. If Fettel had not gone off the track, he would have been entitled to defend any attempt by Hamilton to pass him. He would not have been penalized for closing a gap unless there had been a second move under braking. So if Fettel had not regained control, this was a racing incident. If he had regained control, then the fact of him going off the track and re-entering the track should not have resulted in an unsafe entry re-entry penalty since the re-entry was complete. His block on Hamilton, if under control, would have been a fair defense of his position as a single move under braking where Hamilton was not far enough ahead to justify giving racing room. Hamilton did not give racing room to Verstappen in uh, Monaco, nor should he have been expected to. Hamilton rarely gives, and I'm going to use the inverted commas here, racing room to anyone, as his multiple bumps with Rosberg et al. attests to. The stewards made a bad decision that hurts Formula One. And I, I, by and large, uh, agree with uh, what uh, Richard is saying in in his email there. And I think it does, uh, at the end of the day, I think it is an incident that really looks bad for formula one regardless if that's what the rules say and 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 the stewards are forced into that uh, position then that's just the way it is but that doesn't take away from the fact that it just it just doesn't make the sport look good right no i i agree mark i don't disagree
1: but on top of that we're, we're talking about the symptom and the symptom and the symptom now but in all of this we forget that sebastian vettel drove his car off the track in a very bad timing in a race where he was leading and he came back and lewis hamilton was close so let's not forget this if vettel doesn't go off track with his car he wins the race he went off yep. track he didn't win i guess if if all happens then would hamilton has have not taken like hamilton didn't take his foot off the pedal, there's no pedal, I know it's on, on the steering wheel, but he, let, he put his finger off the gas button, I guess, to to, to not crash into a pedal. Would if he have done that, knowing if that rule doesn't exist, that you just have to overtake him? Maybe he would just come to, to, to his left and overtake him that way. So there's that too. The lack of risk taken in Hamilton there could be explained by Hamilton knowing there's that rule and knowing that what he saw didn't fit that rule. He knew there was going to be something about it. He's like, well, I'm just going to play it safe. And I think that's where we all are irked a bit about by this, Marcus. We're tired of seeing F1 playing it safe. Okay, when I'm playing it safe, I'm not talking about safety. I'm talking mm-hmm. about being way too conservative all the effing time. And I think that's one of the things that's taken out the soul of Formula 1 right now. Because mm-hmm. everyone's really conservative. We're counting our, our chickens before they hatch, but we're, we're doing it so in a way that we control everything about the hatching of the chicken so we actually know what's going to happen. I just want eventually t- to have more of uh, of monkey thrown in the wrench. You know? <laughs> That's what's missing in Formula One.
0: Yeah, well a- absolutely and I think that's what the 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 frustrating thing about it is is that okay the rules are structured in in, in such a way that maybe the, the 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 stewards have no choice but to to rule in the way that they do and and that's fine but like I say that doesn't make it the best outcome for for formula 1 because now all Hamilton has to do is stay within five seconds and he doesn't even really need to push Vettel. I mean, now the, the onus is upon Sebastian to push harder and harder and harder to make sure that he finishes 5.001 seconds in front of Lewis Hamilton if he wants to uh, keep the keep the victory. So and it, it, it really robbed everybody of what was looking to be a very exciting finish to the, to the race. And the, the big issue that I have with it is that a couple of years ago, ago they were basically coming out for the one that is is saying oh well we're going to be lighter on the stewards decisions because we're we're going to give them more latitude as to what is a racing incident and what isn't I mean a couple of weeks ago in in Monaco uh, Max was hit with that five second uh, penalty for the unsafe release in the pits fair enough I mean that was a dangerous situation because uh, Bottas was pushed into the barrier there and of course two cars coming together in a pit lane where there's literally hundreds of people standing literally inches away from the left-hand side of the cars where you know where where the where all the pit boxes are that is a legitimate safety issue and we saw that with uh, Sergio Perez and a couple of stewards running across the uh, the, the the pit lane where it rejoins the track at Monaco very very dangerous so that was a justified penalty to uh, to to Verstappen but this one I saw more as a as a racing incident. I didn't see it as a, an intentional move by Sebastian Vettel to to block Lewis Hamilton. Whether or not it was, I mean, only Sebastian Vettel can really answer that question. Maybe subconsciously he's uh, blocking himself from coming out of uh, and coming out and saying it, and he's a little bit in denial. Or perhaps he just reacted in the way that he, he said that he did. And I think that, uh, that that the truth is probably somewhere in between. But Having said that, I think that uh, they, they should have just let it slide. I mean, it's fine wow. to reduce or review that uh, th- that whole incident. But at the end of the day, like you said, there wasn't bits of body work coming off of the car. Hamilton wasn't uh, really inconvenienced or he didn't have his car damaged. I mean all he was really had to do was just put uh, put the foot on the brakes for uh, a second or two. So I mean he was only inconvenienced uh, momentarily and the way that he was uh, catching Vettel and was right on uh, his rear like wing and right on his gearbox at that point, he probably would have uh, passed him in a couple of corners anyways. So well I guess maybe not. Who knows? I mean, that's a, another one that's more speculation yeah, yeah. than anything. So,
1: but uh, one thing that I want to mention too, Mark, is yeah. the the five second penalty things where where they take the penalty at the end of the race. Oh well, we're taking five sec, ten second off your time, and you go from first to third. I don't like it. I really don't like that. It's so counterintuitive for me. Make him a stop-and-go penalty. Make him go drive through the pit. Make him stop two seconds on the side of the road and make him start again. Make him go out of the car to 10 push-ups and go back into the car and then strive... Uh, but but that mean that, that's more fair to me than, than just taking the time off because it, it, it's it's yeah. artificial, right? It feels it feels video gamey. It feels where it does, yeah. Where okay, well, oh yeah, you f- you crossed the line first, but you know you stepped over the red line twenty laps ago, so we have to take five laps away from your time, uh, five seconds away from your time, and oh well, too bad you finished second now.
0: Yeah, well, you know, there there has to be a better way to do it, but maybe not, because if you do the drive-through penalty in the pits all of a sudden that's what, what what is a 5 seconds deducted or added on to your time at the end of the race now becomes a 20 second uh, penalty in effect or maybe a little well, bit less because you're not actually stopping the car but which goes back they're... to the
1: the threshold of penalties if, if if you did something that's not like oh yeah you did something wrong but not wrong enough they want to penalize you 20 second then don't penalize them. like you yep. either penalize some you did something you're not supposed to you get a 25 seconds penalty. You go into the pit and you get out of the pit. Finish with the, yep. uh, that's it, that's all. But the threshold of what's a penalty and what's not has to be a bit higher. And I think that might be the best solution eventually. Just go back to the way it was. Where are we always trying to reinvent the wheel? It's round. It goes straight. It works.
0: Yeah. Well, you're not alone in that uh, that that sentiment Kevin because uh, Ross Braun also wants uh, Formula 1 to better explain these uh, penalty se- decisions because if you actually see the official release from the stewards uh, there there is not a lot of explanation as to what what their reasoning was it was just Okay, he infringed uh, article such and such. This is what happened. This is the decision. And if they don't like it, they can appeal it within the appropriate uh, <laughs> time frame, which, of course, Ferrari has uh, decided to do. But that's it. It was like literally about a quarter page, not even in in, in length. So It, it reminds
1: it, me, Mark, of uh, you, you've seen those before. The, the pool reporter at a soccer game, when you're trying to ask a question to the referee, yep. you've got like 140 letters you can write. And they answer you in a <laughs> box and it's like answers the question literally with articles of this rule, this rule, no other words, no more details, no explanation of the interpretation of the rule. And I guess yeah. that's where we're, we're all asking for more is, okay, the rule is saying this. But what does this mean to you versus what does this mean to me, and what does this mean to Vettel versus what this means to Mercedes, and and, mm-hmm. and are we actually talking all the same language? And and I think that goes to what Vettel was saying in the post-race uh, interview too. Like I don't like this language thing where uh, now it's literally did you impede? Did you like come unsafely l- release? Come back on the track? It's like those type of vocabulary that that lingo. It's Come on, it's (laughs) car racing. Who finishes first, second, and third? And at the end of the day, if the guy's alive, the guy's not dead, if the car's not not broken, there's a, yeah. I don't know if there's reasons and there's safety issues, of course. But I I think there's a a bit too much bubble wrap. I I think we need to see a bit more chaos. I don't care if a few cars get broken here or there. It it makes for... for an interesting season. Because, well, championship's over. It's June 13th. Uh, Lewis Hamilton's going to win his seventh championship. Uh, sixth, seventh, uh, I think it's, it doesn't matter. I can't even remember, Mark. It's, it happens <laughs> too often.
0: Well, exactly, and that's uh, that's the, the 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 big thing at the at uh, the end of the the whole discussion is the one guy that probably doesn't need to benefit from a decision like that is the one guy that uh, did benefit from it, and like you say, I mean, he's well on his way to a, a six world championship now, Lewis. That is, and uh, I, I mean, it's it's just in, uh, unfortunate there. I mean, I, I think if you ask Lewis straight up, would how do you want to win a race? Do you want to win it uh, by uh, being uh, awarded it uh, on a, on basically what's a technicality or do you want to win it in a straight up fight and I think honestly obviously he's going to say he's going to want to win it in a straight up fight because I thought it was really good the the, the race before the, uh, the the battle that he had with Max in Monaco and just how that uh, came down to that one decisive moment at the end of the tunnel going to the chicane and uh, Max locked it up a little bit they had a bit of a bump and and, and that was about it but it was it, it was good fun you know I mean at the end of the day nobody suffered I mean Lewis managed to hang on Max wasn't able even able to pass him, and well, unfortunately, he was in the same uh, position as Sebastian. If he did pass uh, Lewis, he was going to have to find uh, a way to get uh, five seconds in front of him, uh, which in Monaco seems uh, like a, a really huge uh, task. But it, it is true, though, what uh, what Vettel said after the race, and he said it's uh, not the sport that I fell in love with. And he goes on to talk about that uh, they all sort of talk like lawyers now, and and that's uh, that that's a good uh, a good point. I mean, if I want to see some gripping courtroom drama. Then I'm gonna watch Harvey Specter in Suits, right? So. <laughs> well, <laughs>
1: well, well, Your Honor. On that note, we're gonna say a little note to our sponsors here on the Overtime Media Network, and we'll be right back after this. And we're back on Scuderia F1 Podcast Talking about courtrooms And talking about lawyers Mark, oh no, wait, we're, we're talking about Formula 1 And we're talking about <laughs> uh, the Montreal Grand Prix You know what's what's sad in all this too, Mark Is we're not talking about other drivers That did uh, yeah. good, good on the day And Canadian boy Lance Stroll from 17th To nine, Overtaken a few people the Shades of 2017 At the Montreal Grand Prix for the kid
0: yeah, well, I mean, it was a, a much more a uh, be- good race for for uh, Lance. Obviously, I mean, last year he didn't even make it uh, around the first lap. Was it? Uh, was it? Was it? Was it on lap one? We had the big coming together with so, Brendan yeah. Hartley. I think. So. Yeah, I mean, his his day was uh, over very very quickly. But Dale, you know, good on him. I mean. We, we've been critical uh, quite a bit to, to, to Lance this season that, that he hasn't really uh, performed as uh, we, we were hoping and of course you know he always seems to be knocked out in Q1 but I mean at the end of the day I mean getting a ninth position after that storming first lap I, th- I think it's a, a really really good result for them I think not, not just for Lance but for racing Point in, in general I mean they, they've struggled a little bit unfortunately his uh, teammate uh, Sergio Perez was out of the points in, in Twelfth, but still, it uh, getting one of them in there was uh, was good news. And uh, if if you're going to do well in a Grand Prix, you always going to want to do good at the one at home. Uh, although you might not want to remind Charles Leclerc what happened in Monaco about three or four <laughs> weeks ago. But oh, definitely a yeah. good uh, good outing for for Lance Stroll on Sunday afternoon. Speaking
1: of Charles Leclerc, third, not bad, not bad at all for yep. the kid. He had some good pace late in the race. Could have done more, but. Uh, I think not only Charles Leclerc, Mark, but I think a few other drivers were were caught by the lack of uh, of security car in in this race. Usually we have one. Usually yep. on a normal Montreal Grand Prix, usually the weather is not that great, like it was this entire weekend, which it was the best three days of 2019 so far in this city. I've seen the weather wise, but uh, <laughs> we do see though with. A race in Montreal that is unpredictable. Some some years, with mm-hmm. because of the track or because of the weather, if it's slippery and you have accidents at the first turn, it's unpredictable. So it's not like you know your clear cut strategy. So you always keep an eye. You always keep a a plan B or a plan S for a security car in your portfolio or in your back pocket when you're driving in Montreal, and you're always wary of it. So you never pull the trigger quicker quick enough on your pit stop or you, you don't want to be caught off if there's one and you just pit it or you have to go pit and it's on un- so you are always a bit careful and i think charlotte Klein mentioned that after the race like we were a bit hesitant because of this and we, we did plan in case there was going to be one and it never showed up so we pitted a bit too late and we got caught and we couldn't really make up that time at the end of the race but yeah, it could have been a bit better for Leclerc, but I think there's a few other drivers like this, like Ricardo as well, where they could have, if there would have been that safety car at the right moment, where they could have expected it, which didn't come this year, and it does does change the strategy of teams.
0: Yeah, well, you know, it's also interesting that uh, that you give a shout out there to Danny yeah. Ricardo. I mean. Yeah, as good as it was to see Lance stroll up in the points uh, for for Racing Point, um, it, it was for me. It was good to see that Renault actually looked fairly competitive uh, this weekend. Okay, they they qualified uh, pretty good and then started the race on the soft tires compared to everybody else that was on medium or hard tires. But still, at the end of the race, sixth and seventh for Danny Ricardo and Nico Hulkenberg, in which was the, the 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 best finish of the season for them so far because it's like. Ever since they had that rather embarrassing double DNF in uh, Bahrain earlier in the season, it, it really seemed like they've struggled and they just haven't been a- anywhere Positive or really, in uh, in the position that uh, that that I've expected them. I think a lot of people. But Ricardo was saying that uh, coming into Montreal, or that uh, that that at least coming down the the roads uh, to use a, a Formula One metaphor, if uh, if you want to, um, that the update that they're going to introduce at the French Grand Prix should really be a big leap for them, but or a leap forward for them. But uh, certainly in Montreal, it was uh, good for them, and it's a bit of an unusual top ten if you look at them. I mean, I mean, Lewis uh, Hamilton, Sebastian Vettel, Charles Leclerc, Valtteri Bottas, Max Verstappen. That's not an unusual top five in Formula One. But then seeing Danny Ricciardo, Nico Hülkenberg, Lance Stroll, and then Danny Kvyat in in the rest of the top ten. Obviously, uh, we had uh, Lance Stroll in ninth and uh, Max Verstappen in fifth. So, I mean it was an interesting top 10, the way that it kind of changed uh, everything around. And it's funny though, when when you say that w- when it comes to Montreal, there's always the expectation that there is going to be a safety car, but, It was almost unpredictable in the fact that there wasn't. And I think, uh, like you say, that 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 caught uh, people out uh, to a certain extent. But again, if we can just go back to talk about the the, the whole uh, Vettel-Hamilton controversy, and we'll just kind of bring Charles Leclerc into the uh, discussion for the moment. Right at the very end of the race, it it was interesting that that gap between Hamilton and Vettel and uh, Charles was actually getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And I, I was saying to my wife as we were watching, Watching the 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 Grand Prix, I said, you know, if they're not careful, Vettel could end up in third position before this is all said and done. Yeah, it and could Ferrari, have yeah, and and Ferrari actually said after the race that they just plain forgot to mention to Charles that <laughs> he had to that that, um, that that he had to make sure that he was five seconds behind Sebastian. And I thought, gosh, you know, there there's another interesting kind of a, a <laughs> peek into the management structure of uh, Ferrari or, or the lack and thereof. Some, but, yeah uh, lack thereof absolutely
1: or the conspiracy theorists would be like oh well they they told charles but charles didn't want to listen so he pushed <laughs> and they didn't want to make charles look that bad to be like well just say that we didn't tell him
0: yeah <laughs> we we'll that be-
1: could be true too who
0: knows yeah. Well, it was very much like uh, kind of like a, a Bahrain. I thought it was classic. You know, you had uh, Vettel leading the race. What uh, Was he leading the race? I can't remember. But it, the one point when he was in front of Charles, Charles was obviously faster. And they told him, you know, stay a couple of laps behind him before you overtake. And then, you know, he just went and overtook him about not even half a lap. For like the, the, the 90 seconds later, funny. like, geez, yeah. what did I just tell you, Charles? Yeah, exactly. So that that was uh, that that was very interesting. So Kevin, let's take one final break here. It's kind of a short show this week. Uh, we'll we'll take one final break here on the overtime media network, and we'll come back and close it up f- for the week. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Okay, Kevin, well, here we go. We are into the, the, the home stretch for the week here. So, there were a couple of uh, other interesting things uh, that did go in and around the the, the Grand Prix. And Jacques Villeneuve uh, had to <laughs> come in and weigh in in, in a very sort of typical Jacques Villeneuve way. And uh, after the, the race, he said he felt that Ricardo, not Sebastian Vettel, deserved a penalty in Canada for uh, basically impeding Valtteri uh, Bottas, which, and that was kind of. Uh, contradicted by danny ricardo himself who said he rather enjoyed m- what he said quote making life difficult uh, for for, for Voltaire. but uh, it was kind of interesting to get uh jock's take on the the, the whole uh, wow. hamilton yeah. uh, vettel controversy and and, and it, it was kind of funny like i say to see uh, uh ricardo completely contradict him but uh, he uh jock basically said it, it was a, a a uh, a racing incident, and he said that the whole situation wasn't racing, and uh, basically he was uh, echoed everybody else's sentiments and let them race.
1: Yeah, uh, I I don't disagree with Jacques, but you know, the fact to say that uh, Ricardo uh, played the the movable speed bump in front of Bottas for a few laps, it, it's not false, but it's up to you to overtake me. I'm not going to make life easy for you. <laughs> it's like if you're uh, you're, you're doing a, let's put the same same thing in another sport, okay? I'm yeah. in front of you. We're, we're 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 runners. We're track and field athletes. We're in front of each other. I know you're coming behind me. Am I going to make it easy for you to pass? I, am I going to I'm going to step out of my lane and make sure your lane's open? Or am I going to make sure that maybe I'm just going to Put a little shoulder closer to the line that I would normally. Well, there's that. Like you have to overtake the person in front of you. You're faster? Good. Being faster is not enough. You still have to overtake me without losing time while you're overtaking me. And you have to take the risk. Are you confident enough in your abilities to do so? Or is it gonna take you a few times to to work yourself up to finally be able to mm-hmm. pass me? And I think there's a little bit of that. If I'm Ricardo, like hey dude. You have to pass me. I don't have to make it easy for you. And it's kind of part of my job to try to maintain my ground.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's not obligated to move out of the way for for, for Bottas. And you would think uh, under normal circumstances, Danny Ricardo in a Renault and Valtteri Bottas in a, in a Mercedes, there should not be any... Uh, contest uh, between the two of them, although Bottas was struggling with um, high engine and brake temperatures, so it might not have been uh, as easy as normal. And that's something that he uh, suffered with uh, early on in the race. And, I mean, he did get him uh, eventually, but, uh, again, interesting uh, little uh, side note from Jacques Villeneuve. But, you know, what was also interesting was the weird incident that Lando Norris had. And my first reaction which i'm sure echoed everybody else that watched that race was oh lando the rookie's gone and put it into the wall of champions and when you saw the replay he did absolutely nothing of the sort he didn't do anything wrong his car just fell apart and caught on fire and mclaren still does not have an answer for why the right rear suspension (laughs) failed on lando's car but that was a, a real real bizarre incident i know why mark you know why because it's, it's made by McLaren. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's uh, that that kind of really like puts back. I, I I was really quite complimentary of them last week on the show, saying slowly but surely, they're they're yep. they're getting back to, or they're, or they're at least getting things pointed in the right direction. So to see the <laughs> the car literally fall apart and catch on fire on its own accord yeah. uh, this past weekend was uh, something uh, completely unexpected. I think, unexpected, think it's so.
1: McLaren's way to tell to tell you, Mark, like, yeah, we're we're, we're getting there, but we're not there yet.
0: There's still a little bit more work to do. And that's uh, that that's very, very true. But uh, um,
1: before we say goodbye, uh, Mark, for this week, uh, I do have some uh, some more information on a bit of Sebastian Vettel's reactions. We saw he wasn't happy. We saw he moved the number two and number one sign in front of Lewis's car.
0: I would have done the same thing just
1: for the record. Yeah, probably. (laughs) But we didn't see is how he reacted backstage is vocal yelling at people. We did see on TV him walking through the Mercedes garage, which was kind of weird and awkward in a way. We did see him going in and out of stuff, but what we didn't see is him walking in alleyways that are lined up with people on both sides, and the paddocks and back, with his elbows out, hitting people on the way, and looking for a fight. The guy was looking for a fight, uh, even hitting people by mistake and even eating some people that that were there for, for, like, VIP people. And those VIP people were not necessarily happy. Like, dude, what do you think you're doing? Like, calm the F down. And uh, <laughs> apparently he was really, really mad and saying things that are not necessarily complimentary. And there's a reason why he went to cool off before going back to the podium. And it's that cooling off period where... Where those incidents happened. And I think it's a bit of a shame because you have uh, the three people who gave the trophies. You had the Minister of Transport who gave the number one place trophy, Mark Garneau. You had the President of uh, Tire Company, I believe, was the second one. Pirelli. Yeah, the President of Pirelli was giving the number two trophy. And then you had Paul Cook, president of the ASN, which is the Association of the Signalers uh, of So it's basically the Stewards Association, Association of Stewards National. So in the Canada version, Paul Cook is the president. So he gave the third trophy, and those were all people that were there when Sebastian Vettel hit a few people. And uh, he could have had some people injured, but uh, fortunately no one was injured. And no one was really like taking back, and there was no fights or no no pushing or shoving, but you did have a very angry and vocal Vettel behind the scene. Really, not a good look though on on how you handle uh, a decision.
0: Well, I mean, before he even got out of the car, he was uh, furious, and uh, you could just hear it on the uh, on the radio. I mean, a little bit more uh, restrained, I guess, is the proper word, because we'll all remember the uh, the incident in Mexico. It was uh, two or three years ago. the the famous well, F. Ch- Charlie uh, 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 speech uh, <laughs> that he gave when uh, after that race that got him in a little yeah. bit of hot water after after well, that know, one. But I, I, he was he was mad. I mean, I, I never really expected that that he was the kind of fellow that uh, that that has such a has such a temper but have been proven wrong on a couple of occasions now
1: <laughs> yeah and you have to put yourself let's we're going full circle here but let's not forget the stewards are not full-time employee following formula 1 from track to track and race to race and country to country with no they're regular people like you and I who attend multiple seminars a month, a year, always up to date, always up to the new safety, security, rule features of the FIA and the track. They know this track by heart. They've been doing this for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, doing this once a year, but really having a lot of, of practice, of drills, of training, Year in, year out, they don't make a lot of money. Those people are volunteers usually because you need a bunch of them. They're usually volunteers. And did you think the steward in charge of taking that decision really wanted to take that decision? He'd probably be the first one to be like, why did, didn't this happen at the other corner where I did <laughs> not have jurisdiction? Why did this happen to my corner? Why have I have to take the decision? So I guess deep down inside of him, or her, he's like, yeah, well, I don't want to take decision, I don't want to be involved, but I believe so much in what I, I know and what I've been trained to do, that I guess I have to do something. So, so there's that aspect to it, too, and I think it's important to not forget the humanity side of stewards. I think the stewards in charge and the stewards that are at that corner probably feel terrible about it, too, today. And it did damper their weekend, too. And I think it's it's important to not necessarily forget the human aspect of stewards. And you cannot necessarily ask them to be robots because they're not. And it's important. And let's not forget they're volunteers that are giving multiple days, weeks, if not months, a year to mm-hmm. this cause. Because it is a cause. A lot of people are making a lot of money. In the top end of motorsports In the top end of Formula 1 But for 99% of motorsports In general It's about love, it's about passion And it's Mm -hmm. about losing money It's about volunteering, it's about paying To fill up your race car Before you can drag on a Friday night You know
0: yeah, absolutely. And yeah, that's, uh, that's a really good uh, really good point that you raised, Kevin. But let's just uh, finish it up now and let's just uh, remind everybody of the standings in the World Championship. Uh, on top, we have Lewis Hamilton opening up a fairly comfortable gap with 162 points. Valtteri Bottas sandwiched nicely between his teammate and Sebastian Vettel in third place with 133 points. Vettel with 100 points. Max Verstappen with 88 and Charles Leclerc rounding out the top five in the world uh, championship with 72 points and then do we really need to go over the constructors because it really is Mercedes and everybody else but sure why not just for fun we have on the constructor side of the world championship Mercedes way out on top way down the road miles and miles ahead of everyone else with 295 points Ferrari with 172 points Red Bull with 124 points and McLaren and Renault now getting very close in the best of the rest. McLaren still in fourth position with 30 points. Renault catching them up now with uh, 28 with that very good finish they had in Montreal. And then there's everyone else. And Kevin, for this week, that's all I've got. And I'm done.
1: <laughs> and on that note, you can <laughs> follow me on Twitter at KevLarme. You can follow Mark at MarkJRDaily. And you can follow this show. At Scuderia F1 Pod on Twitter, thanks to Overtime Media Network. That's where you can find podcast versions of this show. And until next time, as always, Mark, have a great Formula One.
0: Thanks for listening to the Scuderia F1 Podcast. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, then head over to scuderiaf1pod.com. Want to get in touch with us? Then email us at scuderiaf1pod at gmail.com.